Well, if you would find 2 John in your Bibles this morning, we are in part two of a series that we are calling Followers. And we've been looking at this book the last couple weeks and just looking at its purpose, its context, its focus. And there's a lot of things going on in this letter. And we're going to slowly get through all of those things. It takes a turn next week uh, just in its direction, its focus. But the early church was dealing with a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges, a lot of disagreements about specific things. And so the Apostle John is, we believe it's John who is writing to the people group and encouraging them to know the truth and to watch out for false teaching, to watch out for those who are people astray. Uh, false teaching is nothing new. It's been around since the beginning. It will be around until the end. And so we just have to continue to stand against it to know truth and know what Christ has taught us. And so if you're there in 2 John, we're going to begin reading with verse 1. And 2 John says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. And so right here at the beginning, it says the elder. And I've already alluded how I feel about this. I believe this is the Apostle John who is writing this letter. There is some debate on whether this is just a pastor communicating to a group of people. So I believe it's John, and he's writing to the elect lady, which is the church, the corporate, the big C church, and her children which would be the body of Christ, those who make up the church. And so that's who I believe the audience is. The majority of Bible scholars believe the same, but there is room for some debate. There is some room for disagreement there. It could be an elder in the church, a pastor writing to a lady and her children. Uh, so it could be both ways, but the majority of scholars do believe that this is John writing to the church, and then the church is to be instructing the people to continue. And so last week we highlighted four, a word that took place four, we see four different times here in this first, these first three verses, and it's the word truth. And so we talked about how followers love the truth last week. And there were a lot of things that we defined. The word for truth in the Greek language is the word aletheia, which means it's, it's truth under any matter or simply reality. It's reality. It's truth that is real. And so we started last week by making it very clear who and what truth is. That truth is the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he no one can come to the Father except through him. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to be saved. It is only through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, that he is the word, that he is the truth. And we talked about how his word is truth, that when we study his word, it is his revealed truth to us. It is his reality displayed for us and given to us for us to navigate life and know what to do. And then we saw that his spirit is truth, 
We're all given the Spirit of God when we call on Jesus to save us. We are changed, and His Spirit guides us, teaches us, illuminates truth, gives us His will, all the things that we would talk about on a normal Sunday morning. So His Spirit is truth, and His truth is eternal. It abides in us, and it will be with us forever. His truth is eternal. And so the challenge last week for those of you who were here, and if you weren't here last week, the challenge remains the same. We want you to know the truth. We want you to know Jesus, and that starts with salvation. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where it started for me, was knowing Jesus through the gospel, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and his offer of eternal life to me which I received. And so we know the truth. And last week we also challenged you to act on the truth. We see this in James chapter one. We are to not just be hearers of the word. We are to be doers of the word. Ephesians four reminds me all the time as a pastor that it is my job to equip the saints not to know, just exclusively know, and not just to hear, but to be doers of the word, to do the work of the ministry. And we finished last week with the simple encouragement that we can enjoy the truth. We can enjoy it. That followers of Jesus love the truth. And so that's a little bit of background on where we've been here in these first three verses. If you want to listen to that sermon, it'll be online so you can check it out there and get caught up if you missed a week. And so This morning, one of the first questions that I want to ask this morning is this question here. What comes to mind when you think of someone who is not walking in obedience? What comes to mind? Is it a particular person? Maybe you're thinking of somebody, maybe in your past. Maybe it's a family member, a friend. Maybe it's a pastor. For me, I I have a list of, of ministry leaders who have walked away from what they know to be true. They're no longer walking in obedience. And so a particular person comes to my mind. Maybe it's a, maybe it's yourself. Maybe you're thinking of you. Like what comes to mind when you think of someone who is not walking in obedience? It's, it's me. Maybe that's your answer. Maybe there was a time when you were obedience. Describe someone who is making terrible decisions, someone who claims to follow Christ, someone who, if I could be so bold, actually knows better, we say this phrase, they're just not that phrase before, or you've heard that phrase before. Man, they used to be walking with the Lord, but they're no longer walking with the Lord. And personally, I think that's a really, really great way to describe or label a person who is not walking in obedience not walking with the Lord. So in our verses today, we're going to get there in just a moment. John is about to explain that he's glad to hear that some of the believers that his ministry has influenced over the years, truth. Now, we can imagine what that would have looked like knowing the rest of the people who had maybe fizzled out or things that had changed or things that had shifted. But Maybe for a second, and you could write this question down if you would like, but what does a life of not walking with Jesus actually look like? 
What does a life not walking with Jesus look like? In the scene, spent time investing in, uh, in spent time investing in and ministering to these people in this church, even if it was by letter at times. But all, and all of that time, he had spent, and now people had turned back. And some things had changed, and some things had shifted. So we think, and things, uh, something not working? Okay, great. (laughs) So you got half of it, right? I wonder why my wife was saying weird things like, keep going, I'm like, I'm not dying. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know where to start now. So, yes. What does a life of not walking with Jesus look like? We think that things are hard now. Things are challenging now. But sin has been sin since the beginning. It just, it's never going to change. It's always going to be there. So at this time in church history here, when Second John is being written, persecution was, it was at an all-time high. The culture was godless. And I know that it seems like we live in, in times today that are, that are harder than others. And I know that there are elements of it that are true. But we are not more godless now than, than this culture was. There has always been sin. There have always been false teachers. There have always been hard times. It's not unique. This was a hard time in church history. The false teaching was permeating the church. There was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of uncertainty. There were so many things going on. People felt like they were missing out on something. Maybe we feel the same way. But John is encouraging them to continue following Jesus. And so my encouragement to you this morning is the same. Keep following. Keep trusting. Keep believing. And what makes all the difference when it comes to this issue of truth and obedience and disobedience is just that commitment to stay in the game. Obedience is the focus. And so this morning, if you would look at verse 4 as we continue reading together, he says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. So John is, is rejoicing. He's taking a moment to encourage these readers, I'm, I, am, I am rejoicing that some of you are walking in the truth. But not everybody was walking in the truth. Same thing that we experience. Every pastor has this, this feeling. I have this feeling. I rejoice greatly when I hear that you are walking in the truth. When I hear stories of you walking in obedience and following Jesus, proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and raising your children to know and follow Jesus, I rejoice greatly in that truth. But he uses this word some because it's really important to note that not everybody is going to follow. Not everybody is going to walk in the truth. That can be discouraging. That can be extremely challenging. It feels like the road less traveled because it is the road less traveled. So John is rejoicing greatly to find some of their children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, 
but the one we have had from the beginning. So John's making it clear. He's not saying anything new. I will never say anything new to you. Anything that I proclaim is going to be found in the pages of Scripture. Truth that is unchanging. Hopefully, if not, I should be fired. But I'm not writing you a new commandment, John says, but one that we have had from the beginning. Truth is eternal. And so John is reminding them that this truth is unchanging. But he says that we should love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So John is saying a lot in these two verses right here, in verses 4, 5, and 6, these three verses. And so he's communicating and he's highlighting that truth is still the focus. That truth is still the key element in this walk. And that Christians are to walk in it. He talks about love. We're going to get there in just a minute. But what do we do today? What's the challenge for us? As we look at verses like this, and John's writing to this specific group of people, how can it apply to, to us in our context here in Worcester? How does it apply to, to Zach's life, to your life? And it's simple. We obey. Obedience is the key word. Why is it that it's so much easier to study? It's so much easier to debate and argue about truth than it is to actually do it. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, if you think about your own heart, your own discussions, your own life, man, it is so much easier to, to study. I don't find it difficult to study God's word. I don't find it difficult to, to argue and debate about certain theological topics with my friends, but I do find it difficult sometimes to simply do. It's in the doing that we experience the true life change, by the way. It's in the doing where we see God move and where we see him do his work in our world and in our life. And and knowing and studying is important, but it's, it's just easier to do the latter. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So John rejoices because they're walking in the truth. So the first thought this morning that I want you to think about is simple. And it's this question, do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe? So I'm, I'm kind of marrying these two things of, of doing and knowing and studying. But do you know what you believe? Because last week we talked about knowing the truth, that knowing the truth is knowing Jesus through his gospel, knowing that his word is truth. And this morning we're going to add this simple project, this process of simply knowing what you believe. That we can't obey and we can't walk in what we don't actually know. So what do you believe about creation? Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that God created mankind? What do you believe about the issue of, of even gender in our culture? I mean, these are questions that, that Christians are, are being forced to answer more now than ever. And at last count, there were 63 different gender identities in our culture. And so that can be a challenge. 
But do you know what you believe about how God created mankind? What do you know about God's word being the authority, the life of Jesus? Maybe it's the sanctity of life or what God says about marriage and the family or what our purpose is in this life or what happens when you die. Is there really a heaven and is there really a hell? Now I say those things not to be judgmental, but to challenge you. That we need to focus on Jesus. Yes, we need to focus on our relationship with Jesus. But in this world, these are questions that are being asked. These are answers that so many people are looking for. I think about all the things that, that, that we can quote this morning. I mean, you may be a sports buff and you can quote your, your favorite sports team stats. Maybe it's your favorite athlete. I mean, for me, I can sing every line from every 90s country song that has ever been produced. I mean, did you know George Strait has 50 number one hits? He's the greatest of all time. I mean, George Strait's, the, boo, who said that? I mean, that's not cool. That's not cool. Did you know only 21,000 Farmall Super H's were made? And I have the tw- like the last 500 of that were produced. I mean, I know so many ridiculous things. But do I know what I believe about the things that actually mean something when it comes to somebody's life and the decisions that they make and their eternity? Do I know what the Bible says about what happens when you die? Maybe it's a Netflix series. You just, you, you just know every, every piece of what's going on. Maybe we need to do some reprioritizing. Maybe we need to refocus and recenter our, our I mean, I'm not even saying that knowing any of those things are bad. But what you believe matters. It's okay to have questions. It's even okay to be confused. It's okay to be on a journey of growing and knowing and following and getting closer to the Savior. But it's not good to just stay in that place. It's not good to just stay confused or to stay lost about a certain matter, or maybe just because it's hard. You just, it's so hard knowing all of these things. It's so hard knowing what the Bible says about this specific topic. It's, it's important that we continue to, to grow and we continue to know. You see, it takes time, but they're important enough, I think, that they deserve our time. But it's also okay to disagree about some of those things as well. Maybe it's a non-essential area. We've talked about these things before. I had a conversation this week with someone about maybe we disagree on the area of what, what gifts look like, sign gifts, or maybe it's, it's the issue of tongues or, or how we handle money and debt, or maybe it's simply the end times events. You post, pre, you know, mid, whatever it is, you know, wherever you land, there is some room for some disagreement when it comes to some of those things as long as we agree on the essentials. The gospel is the essential element to our faith as we walk with Jesus. We must agree on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must agree that Jesus is the truth. There is no other way. And if there's a million different ways or a way that's relative to your opinion and feeling, that's not a good way. And so there are things that are non-essential, and there are things that are essential. And it's easy to be overwhelmed, I understand, 
It's easy to be overwhelmed with all the things that we need to know. So my challenge for you this morning is just keep making progress, even if it's a little bit at a time. Pray a lot. When you're confused, when you're struggling, when you're finding yourself lost, just pray. God, give me your wisdom. Give me your knowledge. Give me understanding. Help me know what it is that I need to know as I share the gospel, as I live out my faith with those who are around me. Just keep reading and keep learning and keep striving to understand. And right now in 2022, there is a wealth of information at our fingertips. You can Google anything and come up with billions of search results. So with the combination of the Holy Spirit, our Bibles, and all the research and wise counsel that we have access to, it is possible to actually know what you believe and be able to take a stand for it. So do you know what you believe and what we believe affects our walk? What you believe affects your walk. Verse 5 says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Verse 6, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Followers of Jesus walk in obedience. Our behavior your conduct, how you conduct your life, your behavior, it matters. How we live, it directly affects what we believe. Eugene Peterson said that wrong thinking leads to wrong doing. In Ecclesiastes 10, it says in verse 2, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. What does that mean? That means that we have to think biblically. We have to know and understand what the scriptures say. What should we think on? What are things that we should be focused on? Uh, what are some elements of our Christian life that are extremely important? We know what Philippians 4, 8 tells us, that uh, brothers and sisters are to think on things that are true. So the truth of God's word that is unchanging, it's consistent, it's faithful, it's, it's trustworthy. So we are to think on what is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, we are to think about those things. We are to think on God's word, his truth. It, Craig Rochelle talks about it all the time. We are to feast on God's word. So are you sitting at the table and feasting on truth? But not only is there a right way to think, there's also a right way to walk. And we're given specific descriptions on what the walk of a believer is supposed to look like. And I'm going to go through these quick, so write them down. If not, join a small group because they'll talk about these things more this week. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we are encouraged to walk worthy of the Lord. Paul says, walk worthy or so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way and bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So Paul's encouraging us to walk worthy, to bear fruit and to grow and to go deeper in our faith. 
In Galatians chapter 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit show up. There are nine fruits of the Spirit. We went through a series back in 2020 on that section of Scripture. But we are to walk in the Spirit. But before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, there's another verse, verse 16. So Galatians 5, 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we're not to walk in the lust of the flesh. We're not to walk in disobedience. We're not to walk in our own way. We are to run. We are to flee sin. We are to run toward Christ and his example. We are to run toward holiness. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to walk worthy of our calling. In Ephesians 4, it says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. We are new. Christians have been made new. So we should live in such a way that reflects that newness. 1 John chapter 1 tells us to walk in the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In Ephesians 5 verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You see, Jesus has made a way for us to walk in the light. Jesus has has restored our, our, sin, our, our nature of, of sinfulness. He has restored us back into right standing with God the Father. And we no longer walk in darkness. We walk in light. And Jesus is the light. So we walk in the light. And then we walk wisely, not as fools. In Ephesians 5 verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So we walk with care. We walk with focus. We, we walk with wisdom. We seek wisdom. And we walk not as fools. In Romans 13, verse 13, Paul tells us to walk in purity. He says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, and not in dissension and jealousy. To walk in purity, to walk in holiness, to be set apart from this world, to be set apart from the nature of the darkness that we see around us. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we're encouraged to walk by faith. For we live by faith, we walk by faith, not by sight. These are all things that we do in our walk in obedience. Uh, Ephesians 5, 2 tells us to walk in love. He says, and walk in the, lo- in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then lastly, we walk in obedience because the world is watching. You see, our obedience and our walk can have an effect on those who need the gospel. Paul will encourage us in Colossians 4. If you've been around here for any amount of time, this verse is is quoted all the time. But we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most use, the best use of the time. We're to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. 
followers of Jesus walk in obedience. And so we, we see that we have been given this, this first focus that our, our walk is, our obedience is affected by how we walk. And then we see that followers are known for love. Followers are known for love. Verse 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new command, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is, often, this is often the missing piece. Now, loving one another is not an option. Loving one another is a command. We are commanded to walk in obedience, and we are commanded to love one another. John 13, verses 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you. This was something that was a challenge for the early Christians because of what had been taught by some of the Pharisees and some of the scribes. So Jesus is making something very clear. There's a new commandment that I'm giving to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, everyone, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In John 15, verse 12, Jesus says again, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Those verses are, we quote them all the time. But do we ever stop and really think about those verses? Love each other as I have loved you. Have you really stepped back and thought about the love of Christ in your life? How much Jesus loved you how much Jesus loved the world that he would come and he would do something for you and for me that we don't even deserve. And then we are to extend that same example of love to others. That should be a sobering thought for us. I don't do that very well. I don't know about you, but I don't love as well as I should. And maybe you do, and I would love to sit and have a conversation with you. But we are to love as Christ loved us. And our love for one another is how the world sees Christ. I think that's super interesting. We have a template to follow. That his love for us is what we give to others. That Christ loves us so much and that he covered our sin. He took our place because of love. And we should follow that example. We should allow that to influence our relationships with others. With our families, with our spouses, with our children. You see, love covers everything. Listen to what? Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 8, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love is what covered our sin. Love is what has given us hope. And love is what we extend to others. Love is at the root of forgiveness. 
Love is at the root of everything that we do. Because followers of Jesus walk in obedience. Followers of Jesus simply walk in obedience. And I don't want you to feel overwhelmed today. This call to obey and follow Jesus, it can be extremely intimidating. It's not easy to love as he has loved us. But the world follows the wide path. And this is a straight and narrow road. And not many go down it. Not many will walk in obedience. Not many will love as Jesus has loved. It can be exhausting. It is a challenge. But remember, we have to think with an eternal mindset and it will help us reset our focus. We set our mind on things above, as Philippians 4.8 tells us and reminds us to think on things that are true and holy and noble and admirable. And simply it boils down to him increasing and us decreasing. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. When we believe the truth and we walk in the truth, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in our world, but it makes a difference in you. So do you know what you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the truth? Do you believe that he loved you enough to come and die for you? Do you believe what he says about how we should live our life? And if you want to know what Jesus says about how we should live our life, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again. Because you're going to see Jesus in his own words on the page and how he's called us to live. Because what you believe affects your walk. What you believe affects this walking in obedience. And are you walking in love toward one another? Because followers of Jesus are known for love. Followers of Jesus walk in obedience. So a few questions I want you to think about this week, maybe at lunch today. Our small groups, our adult small groups are going to be talking about these questions this week. But when it comes to walking in truth, do you know what you believe? And are you willing to study, to know what you believe? Has there been a question that's come up at school or maybe in your friend group or maybe at work or, or maybe in your family and you're like, I, I don't know what I believe about that specific issue. Do, when it comes to walking in truth, do you know what you believe? And then are you devoting enough time to knowing where you stand? I made fun of that a minute ago about all the stats and the stupid things that I know. I have plenty of time to know where I stand. When you look back at your walk this week, do these verses, verses four, five, and six, describe how you lived this week? And then what is one change that you can make this week to better walk in obedience? What's one change you can make to walk in obedience? Those are just some simple steps, a simple process to finding the answers to the questions that we've been asking in this series. So do you know what you believe? Are you allowing what you believe to affect how you live your life? Are you loving others the way Christ has loved us? And are you walking in obedience? Because followers 
followers walk in obedience. And there is no one that I'm pointing anyone, including myself, to this morning but Jesus. I'm not going to point you to your favorite theologian, book writer, musician, missionary of the past. I'm not even going to point you to the Apostle John. I'm going to point you to Jesus because there is no one and there will never be anyone greater. He is the way. He is the truth and the life. If you would bow your head for just a few minutes. I don't do this very often, but I want you to really think through what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. The followers of Jesus love the truth and followers of Jesus walk in obedience. How are you living your life? Are you loving the truth and are you walking in obedience? And in the stillness of this moment, I just want you to pray and ask, if you know Jesus already, ask the Spirit of God to help you love the truth and to walk in obedience. You know what your unique challenges are with these two topics, loving the truth and walking in obedience. You know what, what your what trips you up. You already know what it is that needs to be worked on more than likely. Will you commit to knowing truth, to loving truth, and to walking in obedience this week? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And maybe you need to answer that question this morning. And you can get the answer to that question because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one who came and he lived the life you couldn't live and he died the death that you deserved. And he offers you hope and he offers you life here in abundance on earth by knowing him and in heaven forever. So maybe you're here this morning and you can't answer that question. You don't know what happens when you die. You don't know if heaven and hell are real. You don't even know what Jesus came to this earth to do. And I would challenge you and encourage you to just step out this morning and find someone. Find me, find another pastor, find somebody in your aisle and just say, hey, I, I have questions about Jesus and eternal life and heaven. And I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to somebody. And we would love to have that conversation with you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your, for your word and for Jesus. So God, I pray that as your people, we'd be, we would be lovers of your truth, that we'd be lovers of you, and that we would strive to walk in obedience to your word. Because God, you have given us all that we need. And so God, I pray that we would trust that and that we would follow that and that we would submit to it. God, I pray for anyone in the room this morning that does not have that relationship with you, that they would hear loud and clear this morning that you want that relationship with them, that you sent Jesus, you sent your son to pay the price for their sin and that they could have eternal life. So God, I pray that if there is that person here, that they would not leave today without asking questions, without learning 
what it would mean to have a relationship with Jesus. God, I pray for your church, the people who make up your body. God, I pray that we would take our walk seriously. That we would know and love the truth and that we would walk in obedience to it. Give us wisdom and strength to do that this week. Convict us of sin. Challenge us. Guide us and direct us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.